This is Fun Fact, the new podcast occurring in 2021, a completely different year with no similarities to 2020. I'm sorry, is this Joey's Facts Emporium and Ice Cream Parlor? Yes, it is. Oh, Please great. state your order. Yeah, I would like a banana split and to learn about things. All right. We get a two-for-one deal. We can learn all about banana splits, which coincidentally ever prepares 17 facts about. <laughs> well, that'd be amazing if it was just you were actually prepared for an all-banana split fact episode. <laughs> banana split bonanza. <laughs> Fun fact, not only is our last episode title, Ye Old Pub, not supposed to be pronounced like ye, but if you do, you're actually saying something completely different than you intend. <laughs> so, <laughs> for context, our last episode, it was episode 40, wow. important milestone, Yeah, 40 episodes. That's, that's wild. It's amazing what you could accomplish in two entire years. <laughs> um (laughs) it was ye old pub talking about how uh, and that was my just throwing out there well you were talking about how people would typeset books and to make the lines line up they would just stick in an extra e at the end of a a word and i said ye old pub and you're like yeah that kind of thing um and and then we got some follow-up on twitter about this we did although thank you to the follow-up person on twitter i i actually already had this in the um in the hopper because the minute you said that and we chose that for the title, I wanted to do this fact. But yes, our old friend Limmy did also point out that I should mention this, and I am now doing that. So th- this this whole situation, this ye old pub, which we've all seen, right? This is like this thing that you see um, cheekily written on various things that would like to be perceived as, again, cheekily old, right? Mm-hmm. And this whole thing relates back to the English spelling fact from last time, as you mentioned, that that the, you were using, you were talking about the old part, which had an E on the end for no reason, except presumably because a typesetter wanted to justify something. But you also included this ye at the beginning. And this use of ye old with an E to reference the medieval period, it, it's modern. It dates back to like the 1850s. Hmm. But okay. as is... But as is, well, I guess that's one way of defining, on this show, that's modern. But Mm -hmm. there is a lot more, as often the case on this show, there's a lot more to the story than that. So the the use of the term ye is what I want to focus on. So the old old part we got, whatever, the the ye, what's going on with this ye? And the use of the term ye to mean the in English is also because of a quirk in the history of English spelling. Okay, just to pause, I am going to make sure that I want to, we touch on hear ye, hear ye. So if you don't have that in your plan. Oh, I definitely do have hear ye, hear ye in the plan. Yeah, we'll go over the hear ye. We have an urgent hear ye situation because now I'm just occurred to me that that's the same thing. Or related maybe. Is Is it? it? I don't know. I want to know. Let's find out. (laughs) You're keeping me waiting here. (laughs) So in Old English, uh, the alphabet didn't have the 26 letters we know today. Mm -hmm. It had 24 letters and 20 of them are letters we still use today from the latin alphabet but of the other four interesting i was expecting you to say yeah and then we added j or whatever but like not only did we add a couple letters since old english we've taken away a few that's right so the four that are no longer part of the 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 language two were modified latin letters so you've got the a e i'm sure you've seen that where they're like written together yeah and that's a diphthong vowel like the vowel in the word cat where it's uh cat like it's two oh okay Yeah. yeah and then you've got this d with kind of a line through the stock i've seen that before i think they might in some scandinavian languages have that both of these are still used in scandinavian languages yeah and the d one is called eth and it was used to represent the th at the end of a word Hmm, okay like bath yes and the final two 
were from the Futhork runic alphabet, which is such a cool thing to say. It's one of the best runic alphabets. It's it's I think it's my favorite runic alphabet, if I'm honest. So they were this thing that kind of looks like a capital P, and it was called a win, and it was used for the W sound until we later replaced it with UU and then eventually W. Mm-hmm. And the final one is the runic thorn, and it looks like a also like a P, but the top part of the P extends above. And there'll be a link in the show notes to all. Yeah, of this. I've seen the, these runes for like this is important context for everybody we're in the old game ultima underground that i played as a kid (laughs) and you would use them to like make spells and so at the time i thought of them as like a thing made up for that and i'd since seen that they were actually like real runes but they're just like really cool when you look at just like like in the the anglo-saxon runes futhork or others totally uh, cool they just look really mystical and cool they do now thorn and eth are still used in modern icelandic Mm-hmm. Now, thorn stood for the TH sound at the beginning of the word, like in the. That seems like an unnecessary complication. Sure. So the in Old English was written thorn E. Okay. And pronounced okay. the. But by the early modern English period, let's say 1485, the thorn was only really being used in handwriting. And that's because in printed form, they were sharing typefaces. It was, you know, typefaces at those times are like metal pieces that you have to like carve, right? Right. And so it was a lot of work. Yeah. And the prom- prominent font of the day, it's called black letter or sometimes Gothic. Hmm. And it was used across Western Europe. It was used in, in England. And it was, so you could easily get Gothic typeface for a printing press, but they didn't use the thorn in Western Europe anymore. So, in the UK, when they would print stuff in this black letter or gothic typeface, they would instead use the black letter Y because the Y in black letter, and if you look it up, again, there'll be a link in the show notes, the black letter Y looks a lot like a thorn. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so, therefore, it was just easier for printers to use it. So, they started spelling the Y meaning thorn E. Right. And... Over time, that was meant to be pronounced the. So when you see that in old text, it's completely meant to be spelled the. But over time, and as people got more fonts, they kept doing it Y-E. And the meaning of the fact that it was supposed to be the was lost, and people started pronouncing it ye. So that's like the almost the counterpoint to you're saying how a lot of words, their spelling was set. But then like, or I guess this was like often the... The pronunciation would change, and that would make them go further away from how they were spelled. Right. But this is like a rare case of they act, people actually started pronouncing it more the way it was being spelled. They started pronouncing it more the way it was being spelled due to a lack of understanding of why it was spelled that way. It was ye. Yeah, and then they thought, oh, in the past, people must have just said ye for the, which they didn't. Right. But <laughs> to your point, <laughs> there is also an old word that is spelled Y-E and is supposed to be pronounced ye, and that's... at as you pointed out the word at the end of hear ye hear ye and that's more like meaning you what's up with that ye? yeah so that ye is a pronoun that has fallen out of our vocabulary so specifically it's the second person plural personal pronoun and that's a lot to understand Uh, so basically yeah but it's like the multiple of you yeah it's the old version of a formal y'all we've talked before on this podcast about how we used to have thou and 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 you Yes. But if you were referring to you singular formally, you would say you. So if I were talking to you, Alan, I would say you. But if I was talking to you, Alan, and several other people, I would say ye. Right. So hear you 
or hear ye. And you think if somebody's saying hear ye, they're definitely talking to a crowd. Exactly. You don't just go up to someone and you're like, hey, hear ye. Exactly. Hear ye all. Right. News. Hear ye, hear ye. This thing is happening. Yeah. Yeah. So So is that something we got to bring back when we're talking about trying to have pronoun? We, we don't want to say, hey, guys, anymore. We could say, hey, hey ye. ye. No. So uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think it's probably not going to make a comeback because it doesn't seem to flow very well in modern English. But we it, could try to make it happen. It we You and I should definitely try to make it happen. But at any rate, in the case of our episode title, if you pronounce it ye old pub, you're actually saying y'all old pub, which makes <laughs> no kind of sense. Ye's old pub would at least be grammatically correct. And if mm-hmm. you knew a group of people that you wanted to be formal with who used to own a pub of some kind, then you could say ye's old pub. You could be like, yeah, ye's old pub was pretty great. <laughs> and then that would be completely correct. Well, I, I, that's important to, for me to know, and I'm glad I can now use that information going forward. Referring <laughs> yeah. to old pubs. I definitely think that you should. But yeah, so if you see Y-E written at the beginning of a word or in any case where you would make no sense, it's almost certainly meant to be the. Right. So if you're, you're trying to put an extra E on um, like the old pub and make it look old timey, you would then put it on on like is this is the old with the E? Is that valid? So? Yeah, old with an E is just an archaic spelling of old. Okay, so at least we got that. Presumably f- for the justification typesetting reasons we mentioned. Right, and so we want to put more old neatness in it. We could put another E on the pub part too. <laughs> <laughs> but it should be the old right. pub. Pub with, with an e. e. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, that sounds good. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. So... We'll just keep building on our knowledge of old English. Yeah, English spelling. these runes. Old English. Yeah, we should get more into runes over time as well. Yeah. Uh, it's I'm a corner. Rune corner. Rune corner is uh, it, I, mostly confined to Ultima Underground. That was a cool game. I mean, I'm sure it was horrible by modern standards, but it was like the first like pseudo 3d game i played as a kid so it was like really fun my dad was really into the ultima series at some point i think i i I never got into it yeah there's something about my mind i guess even now but as a kid definitely that really loved the games that had that those rpg elements where you collect stuff and Mm. then each thing has stats and you can like outfit your character with Mm. different equipment that you've you've collected it just it really and collecting the runes like there's something really that my brain is like well aligned to there are there are pieces of an rpg format that i really enjoy and there are rpgs i like but i am pretty allergic to random battles oh like that you're walking around and just like okay now you're fighting like a squirrel and you're like i don't really care about a squirrel right now so annoying and so (laughs) and you're like run away and it's like you can't run away from the squirrel and you're like i'm pretty sure i could (laughs) yeah yeah totally so like one of my favorite games on the nes as a kid was a an action rpg called crystalis it's oh, okay so good i i still think it's amazing but it was one of these games chrono trigger is another one where like mm. you you don't have random battles you see the enemies and you can fight yeah. them if you want to and but then it, in all other ways it's an rpg secret of mana i think is also like that and and those are great i love those kinds of games but i, I mean i don't play a lot of video games at this point but when i do those are great games but i just like the final fantasy type of thing like you're just wandering around and then boom you're in, suddenly I'm about to touch a door and then there's a cutscene, and I'm just annoyed. So, yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> I feel like uh, <laughs> games, like, that could be an after-the-fact topic for sure, because I have all the opinions and thoughts on game design and trade-offs in the way why. you design different games and what different people find fun that you could ever tolerate, to the point that I used to have a podcast about it. So. Yeah, <laughs> yes, anyone who was really interested in that, check out Alan's old podcast, Up, Up, Down, Down, or his award-winning, I think it's award-winning game, uh, Two Spies. Yeah, actually, we won an upgradey. There you go. Listen to the upgrade award-winning podcast. game, Two Spies. Yeah, excellent show. Yeah, excellent and, game. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Um, so I've brought, you know, last few weeks have been uh, <laughs> interesting <laughs> and not super fun. And so I felt like let's get a, some fun facts in here uh, that are they're leaning they're more on the fun, fun side than on the fact. Are, are we bona fide fun about to have right now? That made no. Well, I find this fun. I don't really care about this, but I find this fun. <laughs> this is a fact that I had originally come across as like a conspiracy theory, which yep. my instinct uh-huh. is to always yeah. dismiss mm-hmm. anything that's even nope. like a conspiracy yep. theory. Doesn't sound like fun. But this one actually, it seems like it turned out to be true, and it's mm. not about anything serious at all. So, or not very serious. So, are there any letters <laughs> of the alphabet involved? Because I'm out. No, no, no okay. secret letters of alphabet. This is like a, a very like old school type conspiracy right, theory. Cool. Like the, uh, anyway, I'll, I'll just I'll lay just it on me. It. I so, enjoy a fun, fun conspiracy theory. Lay it on Fun me. fact. The music for the Sega Genesis game Sonic the Hedgehog 3. I'm in. I'm so in. Was secretly written in part by Michael Jackson. What? And it was, there was a cover up. <laughs> I support that cover-up to be honest with you but so go have you, yeah well i mean obviously michael jackson's problematic so and that's i think related so have you did you ever play sonic the hedgehog as a, as a kid oh or? heck yes yeah and so if yeah. you ever did and you ever played uh sonic the hedgehog 3 um you may recall the carnival night zone do you ever get that, I, that far does the, seem familiar to me yes i to be honest with you sonic the hedgehog one and two were more my jam Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I I bought a uh, Genesis that with with money I earned uh, babysitting in like 1994 or something like that, and that sounds about I, right. yeah, and it came with both games. Ah, right. So you were in, they were in heavy rotation, heavy rotation, and so I now, but I loved them, and I still I I recently bought because I'm now a adult with disposable income prone to foolish things i bought an analog and co genesis do you know about this do you know analog.co that's mm, familiar right, i'm gonna send familiar. you the link it they make like uh fp what is it fg what is the thing with the program yeah, like programming yeah yeah they make mm-hmm. fgpa recreations of classic consoles and uh, okay, they do yeah. it to a level of fidelity and joy that is really unreasonable <laughs> like <laughs> it's not it, there's no good like they obviously reason. like doing it they're not just they're not just trying to cash in no it's beautiful like the packaging is beautiful the system is so like carefully thought out it's lovely i i really 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 want a um snes one but they've been sold out forever but i, I bought uh my wife the super nt i think you mean yeah i bought my <laughs> I, yes i bought my wife the analog pocket which is their new handheld game boy one which has like a video a screen that's like seven billion times i mean just scroll down on that page i'll send it to you like the screen is so awesome and she 
it's not coming out thanks to the the, the troubles, as they say. It's not coming out. Do they till... say that? Is that what people some are saying? Calling it the troubles? Now? I have seen that. Yeah, uh, no, it's okay. it, it's not coming out till March, but actually March is now not that far away. But <laughs> it was supposed to come out many, 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 many months ago, last year sometime. But like, it's just I love this stuff. Anyway, so my point is, I bought the Sega Genesis one, and in fact, recently showed the first two Sonic games to my niece who love them and they are still they're still amazing so is this analog pocket yeah. thing like does it play the exact same cartridges like you have to find a vintage cartridge that's right or yeah, a, yeah yeah no okay, it takes cartridges and in fact the, so does the, the sega genesis these are not emulated emulations these are reprogrammed chips to perfectly match what the original chip did and then everything else about it too so yeah this this system plays i think game boy game boy color Game Gear, Lynx, Neo Geo. They have all these adapters. This looks like it's like $500. It was uh, an amount of money. It was not $500, <laughs> but it was an amount of money that I'm I'm not... Oh, it's actually only $200. I'm, that's, I don't think that's that bad considering how well engineered this thing it's looks like. So We're pretty beautiful. far off track. <laughs> we, we totally are. I, I'll just finish this with a, a brief, tiny anecdote that the reason I bought it is because my wife uh, had always wanted a Game Boy as a kid so that she could play Tetris. So uh, I... I also bought her and uh, tracked down an original Game Boy Tetris cartridge. So the cartridge has been sitting in my house waiting for this for quite a long time. And soon she will be able to play all the Tetris she wants on this beautiful gorilla glass ridiculousness that is the analog. That's clock. cool. Yeah. All right. So if you are a fan of old school <laughs> video games or you were at the time in yeah. the early 90s, you may have played Sonic. And I have linked to you, Arik, the theme song to Carnival oh, yeah. Night so should I, should I listen to you it? You can click on that and just to remind you to get yourself in the mindset of 1994. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Mm-hmm. Jamming. Yeah, yeah. It, it has like a bounce to it that you did not hear in game soundtracks of that time and i remember standing there in that stage like listening to the music as a kid and enjoying it yeah this um, is quite the jam i like that i'm gonna stop it now so I can yeah you, for like 1990 awesome. a 1994 like 16 bit or 8 bit 16 bit system right um the and so 16 yeah bit. yeah um and so there was uh like for years this like conspiracy theory and it's only a conspiracy theory because not because it's governmental but because there's a cover-up because people would claim that michael jackson collaborated with sega on the music for that game mm-hmm. uh, for example in that uh in that um zone uh, along with others but sega would deny it <laughs> and so okay. uh, but then people would do these like remixes and stuff to try and like line them up um and like what were they lining up these are like songs that Michael Jackson either uh, had like demos that came out later or, oh. like, you know, maybe after his death. So there might be like, oh, here's some demo tapes of some work that he had done. And then you would hear like it would sound similar in certain parts of the Sonic game. Or, I see. So he was reusing some of these ideas potentially. Yeah. And so this is a this is like a comparison mix of the Carnival Night Zone music and Michael Jackson's one of his last singles, Jam, which is like fairly fairly similar in a variety of ways so I'll just okay let, let me that pull that up yeah okay all right yeah So the um, like I enjoyed this idea just because it was like funny and the idea that like 
I don't know that that it was like a cover up or whatever. And because because Sonic is not just something that is not very important in the scheme of the world to like have mm-hmm. a conspiracy theory about, but also there's something kind of inherently funny about Sonic just because of the fun, the fandom online. Like, oh yeah, they have this like means of making poorly drawn Sonic and things like this. And it's just kind Sonic of- the Hedgehog's Wikipedia page is substantially <laughs> longer than the one for God. Yeah, so, like, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure it's very re- high, re- highly referenced and cited. And oh yeah. Right? Um, and so, but so this is like kind of some ongoing thing that I kind of found entertaining. But in recent years, apparently, the truth has come out because um, it's been long enough that I guess people are getting towards the ends of their careers. They're not as worried about like NDAs and lawsuits and stuff. And so, anecdotes from people who worked on the game at the time. Uh, have started to come out and the theory seems to line up with the idea that uh, and like anecdotes from both sides both from people who worked on the Sega side as well as on the Michael Jackson side that he was a big Sonic fan and that makes sense to me I could see that it seems kind of fits right yeah Um, and so he collaborated on some tunes for the game Um, but then before the game was released um, they had this like quick mandate came down to take out the Michael Jackson music and that so the people working on audio for the game quickly like replaced some of it um but it was there wasn't enough time to completely replace it and some of it was pretty good so some of it got left in um but there was agreement <laughs> on both sides that he would not be cited and re- or referenced in any way and so the official position from sega continues to be and it seems like they're probably legally bound or at least some parties are legally bound to continue saying that michael jackson did not have any music in the game um and this was all around the same time where uh, obviously, like his child abuse allegations and other uh, inappropriate and terrible things came out about Michael Jackson. So Sega didn't want to be associated with Michael Jackson, presumably. And supposedly Michael Jackson also was not very happy with the amount of audio fidelity you can get out of a 16-bit video game system in 1993 yeah. uh, or 1994. So so apparently both sides, at least one or both sides agreed, OK, this is not going to be Sonic the Hedgehog 3 featuring Michael Jackson. Um, but there still remains like pr- like pretty good agreement it seems among the people who have been like journalists and people who've looked into this that uh those um similarities which there are a few uh in between michael jackson's music and sonics uh were not coincidental and that uh that jam is partially his jam there's something amusing in a, like a cynical way to me about the fact that they once the once the mandate came down to remove the music they were like okay but then some of it was good so they were like eh i mean making good music on those systems is really hard like yeah they're they're so limited in what they can make in terms of audio and the the synthesis right like they had these little kind of samples like apparently some of the little sound effects like the bow and stuff like that that Mm -hmm. are in uh the game supposedly some of them are based on beatboxing that jackson had done and that they had like tried to digitize and just like compress the crap out of into like kilobytes right to try and like make it sound like that rather than like obviously it was like long before mp3s and stuff you could get into a game so um because the big cost with those games was the cartridges like the memory and everything on the on the game cartridges so like compressing it all down was like a huge challenge yeah so i'm i mean i'm a huge fan of as like as many sort of kids of this of that era i'm just a massive fan of those sounds mm-hmm. and um when i was um in in college i majored in music and for my senior thesis i produced like an ep and one of the tracks i did i i took my favorite video game soundtrack which is uh, the soundtrack from Mega Man 2 for the original nes oh yeah yes. and i remixed it into a completely new track like combining like m- many different zones from the game and my own 
new like drums and sounds and stuff underneath and like remix the whole thing into a completely new song. Do you have a SoundCloud? Uh, <laughs> I should, right? <laughs> I should put that up somewhere. It's I have the file. I, I, I would totally, I would legitimately listen to that while working. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, I'll definitely send it to you. But uh, anyway, yeah, so I'm, this is like right up my alley. I love that kind of thing. Uh, I used to mess around with, you know, NES-based trackers and things like that. Like I love that that sound hardware is so, you know, for me, iconic. So yeah, but but yeah, the challenges, I mean, especially on the, I'm more familiar with the NES because that's where I spent time like trying to make my own music. Uh, and it's like, I mean, you really have like very limited, you know, like a basic square wave, a basic sine wave, you know, one bit samples, which are like completely impossible to have any fidelity of like any, you know, anything it's it's pretty incredible so much of it is experimental which is the fun like i played around with also with 8-bit synthesizers and and nest like uh hardware and game boy like hardware and it's so kind of like it's so fun exploring around on the synthesizers and just come across a sound that evokes something and you're like mm. this is like a drum so that's my yeah. drum beat now right totally. like, you're not like it's it's totally different than making a modern style music where you're like okay it's like a snare but let's make it like a dry snare right right exactly <laughs> you don't have like, it's just like oh drum mm, like ooh, mm. cool yeah Look what i found totally <laughs> it's fun yeah that's great stuff yeah i you know obviously you know michael jackson eh. mm-hmm. but uh mm-hmm. but that's very that's that's very interesting yeah i thought it was i thought it was like an interesting example of a fact that didn't matter very much and totally had a weird internet story that didn't have anything to do with what's going on right now there's no way to pivot to this next fact that i'm going to do so i'm just gonna it is not a sonic uh, jam related fact i totally could have I sonic facts I, I i'm sorry i dropped okay, the well, proverbial well, rings hey well, that's a joke for the sonic <laughs> fans out there <laughs> all right so fun fact newscasters in the united states are attempting to speak a dialect called general american which doesn't really exist. Hmm. Mm, okay, that's interesting. This is a bit yeah. like the the BBC English that doesn't really exist well, either. We'll, we'll I didn't get, realize that we'll, was happening in in the states too. We'll get into that. So, so last episode, I don't know if you remember, but last episode I said in passing that uh, I had been told newscasters in America were trained to speak like me. Yeah, and I mentioned at that time I think that like Nebraska was people from Nebraska say a, a the lot same of thing. call centers and stuff in Nebraska and yeah. stuff because mm-hmm. they are considered to be sort of very neutral. So specifically, just to establish the scene here, I speak with a mixture of a couple different accents. So I I, I grew up a, a little bit all over the place, but I, I speak with a, primarily with a mixture of a Pacific Northwest accent and some Northern California elements sprinkled in, and actually a, a tiny bit of very regionally specific Northeast as well, but that's not what I was referring to. I was referring to primarily the Pacific Northwest part of my accent. Right. So friend of the show, Casey Liss, asked me where I had learned this. Because he had never heard it and thought it was, shall we say, convenient that, suspicious. Uh, that someone from the Pacific Northwest would think that everyone was trying to speak like someone from the Pacific Northwest. So I, I got curious because it was one of those things, and I think I even mentioned this on the show, it was one of those facts where, or one of those th- thoughts where I had been told it and I believed it, but I had never actually dug into the truthiness of it and so then i'm like we well have so many I think thoughts like that in our brains that just it's like so true there. and i think on the show i said you know to avoid sort of a black panther moment i think i believe mm. i said i don't actually know if this is true but mm. I, I i so i did some amount of research and i discovered that it's it's kind of true but mm. way less than i thought 
So, 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 so what newscasters are actually attempting to speak, as I mentioned in the fact at the beginning, is it's sometimes called standard American or sometimes broadcast English or network English, but mostly it's called general American. And the concept was invented in the 20s and 30s by two linguists who were working independently. And it's meant to cover the idea of a non-regionally specific American accent. Now, in, in both cases, the linguists who promulgated this idea, they believed that the majority of Americans spoke this accent. So basically, like... And they were wrong speak, about that. But they were trying to come up with an accent that they thought at least the majority of Americans would not find stuck out as regional sounding. Yeah, basically their idea was like, if you don't have a Boston accent and you don't have a very obvious Southern drawl, you speak with this everyday accent. And the idea, like you said, yeah, was that the that it would be an accent that people would not object to the idea that it was sort of neutral or that it would be like non-regional. So yeah, it just wouldn't stick out. Right. So one of those linguists, uh, a man named, I just found this interesting, one of the two linguists, the man who probably more than the other popularized this, his name was John Kenyon. And he believed, much like Casey suspected, he believed that general American sounded like him, <laughs> which was a, <laughs> a person from, yeah, which was a person from Northeastern Ohio. And uh, this is super not uncommon. Studies repeatedly have shown that the majority of Americans believe that they, quote, have no accent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even people who are from places that the rest of America would strongly argue have extremely specific accents. Yeah. So at any rate, he believed that people in northeastern Ohio were speaking this general American, but he wrote this in, in 1930. Now, since then, and I didn't know this, since then, starting apparently roughly in the early 60s, that part of the upper Midwest has gone through an additional vowel shift like we discussed last oh, episode. Interesting. It's called the Northern Cities Vowel Shift, and it has completely changed the way that people in those areas talk to the point that by today, we would all agree, I think, other than the people living in those areas, ironically, <laughs> but that they have extremely pinpointably specific accents, right? Like the upper Midwest accent is like a very specific accent. Right, like they, they, that's interesting can, to me that that's still happening because I would like my instinct would be that once we get to broadcast television and that people are hearing each other a lot of like recorded you know film and TV uh, accents that divergence would tend towards stopping. I'd have to do more research on this, but I don't know if in the '60s it was still like your local newscasters were likely to be from your area, your local TV shows mm -hmm. were likely to be from your yeah, area. Yeah. I don't know, mm -hmm. but so of course the truth is that everybody has an accent. Yes. Right. But a, I, f I found this really funny. In, a 1996 study in Michigan revealed that according to people from Michigan, Michigan spoke with the most pleasant and most correct American English. Well, I mean, that's good. If, if, if most people think they don't have an accent, you're going to find even more people who say that they have a good accent. Well, so w what I found fascinating about this was less that. That seems, yeah, like you said, pretty obvious. But the, the state they chose as the least correct like what that Michigan people, like people in Michigan thought was least Yeah, correct. the state that the people of Michigan in 1996 thought was the least correct form of American English yeah. was Alabama. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, so then the same researcher went to Alabama, went to Alabama <laughs> and asked them to do the same exercise. And they so, said, the people of Michigan have been talking smack about you. No. What do you guys so, say about it? So while they also ranked their own accent, the Alabama accent, as the most pleasant Mm -hmm. they didn't rank themselves as the most correct. Oh, interesting. 
So the, there's a point where the accident becomes divergent enough where people are self-aware, or at least becomes le- uncommon enough in the scheme of the country that people become self-aware that it's I don't think uh, that's distinct. what's going on, actually. So the, they said the most correct accent people were from the mid-Atlantic states, like Maryland, Delaware, Virginia, Northern Virginia. Oh, Calgary. so that's like a fanciness argument then rather than a commonness. Kind of, yeah. So 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 new, what newscasters are trying to do when they do this general American is that they're trying to speak, as we said, in a totally non-regional way. They want everyone in the U.S. to sort of feel like, oh, yeah, they could be from here, right? Mm -hmm. And they go to accent coaches to do this. And if you want a specific person example of this, one person who's very upfront about the work they did is the late-night talk show host Stephen Colbert. Oh, interesting. grew up primarily in South Carolina. Right. And he gave a quote that I found very relevant to what we're discussing. He said, At a very young age, I decided I was not going to have a Southern accent. When I was a kid watching TV, if you wanted to use a shorthand that the character was stupid, you gave the character a Southern accent. Now, that's Mm -hmm. not true. Southern people are not stupid, but I didn't want to seem stupid. I wanted to seem smart. You can't tell where newsmen are from. Right. So I think this is why the Alabamans didn't vote for themselves as correct. And wasn't his name was pronounced Colbert, too, instead of Colbert? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And Colbert sounds fancier. Colbert sounds fancier. So I think that... It's an unpleasant reality that accents are strongly associated with stereotypes. Yeah, and that's even more true in the UK, as I understand it. Oh yeah, absolutely. But the the Valley Girl accent from Southern California, or the you know mm. the Boston you know mass hole accent, and all this kind of stuff. So, uh, getting back to the 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 origin of this fact, is there any place in the U.S. that speaks General American? And the answer is yes and no. There's places that are pretty close, but have each little variations. Yeah, it's spoken in some form by the majority of Americans. The linguists were essentially right. If you don't speak a handful of obviously regional accents, then you probably speak some variation of general American. And among the accents most likely to be perceived as general American, Pacific Northwest English is actually pretty close. (laughs) So none of the distinct pronunciations that are present in the Pacific Northwest dialect originate from the Pacific Northwest. And it's pretty neutral relative to any of these specific accent places. But of course, linguists still do see a bunch of small things that make a specific accent present there. And if you know what to look for, it's just as distinctive as anywhere else, right? You can absolutely tell that someone is from the Pacific Northwest if you know what to look for. But the the specifics are very specific and very minor. And so, and not mostly known as coming from the Pacific Northwest. So unless you know exactly what you're doing, it is very hard to tell where someone from the Pacific Northwest is from. And that's probably true for a lot of accents in the like, you know, Northwest quadrant of America, I would assume. Absolutely. And I think even, you know, into Northern California and Nebraska, as we mentioned. So so the, the answer to the question, are newscasters trained to speak like me? No, but also kind of yes. They're trying to, to they're trained to speak similarly to you. Yeah, I I also yeah. found two other sort of related things to this. The, the they're just minor fun things. The first one is basically all of Canada west of Quebec is also basically speaking general American. I mean, I think you mean general Canadian, and which is what you're speaking. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But the as we've discussed in past episodes, I believe the various vowels that are raised in Canadian English do make it to be a pretty obviously distinct dialect. I don't know about that. So when you say Java in your accent or pasta in your accent, it becomes very clear. Although Americans, as it turns out, are really bad at hearing the dialect. Wait, do you say, do you say, do you say Java and 
pasta or java and pasta java and pasta see java and pasta i can't get over pasta to me pasta is like someone trying to sound fancy <laughs> even if that's like standard american accent it's but like completely but standard like, yeah and java too it just sounds so british to me i don't know right it's funny. so so the way you say it is raised but the, the the thing about it is that the some of the canadian vowels specifically the one in about and the one in sorry are diphthongs that are really really hard for americans to hear correctly which is why you get people saying the canadians say a boot which is absolutely not true but the the way that canadians do say about is not the same way that americans say it but it is subtly different in ways that are hard for americans to categorize and hear the very first time i was on a podcast many years ago uh within the first couple of minutes i said uh something about something and they immediately were like oh we got in a boot on there and i'm like what no i just no i didn't say a boot i just (laughs) no i said about and they're like no you said a boot and then but it was like recorded right and so i immediately listened to it and they were half right and then i had definitely said a boat right like i would have spelt it yes phonetically b-o-a-t and like i don't always say it that way but definitely i distinctly said it but canadians do when they were like oh it's a diphthong vowel that americans don't use in that context it's interesting because they in the same study about michigan they they showed that like it people with specific accents at least in the American context, like people in Detroit weren't even able to perceive their own accent correctly. So when they were played back, like Mm. I I forget the exact details, it's in the show notes. When they were played back, like samples of people speaking their accent, they couldn't even properly identify that. So most people, as it turns out, are just really bad at at hearing accents. There's a lot of subtleties to it. And like you, you can pick that up as soon as you have anyone try to make an accent. Like um ellie who's four now um she'll put on accents that she's heard Mm. when she's like playing a character or whatever um in particular a southern accent or a british accent that she's like picked up from some character but like (laughs) her imagination of what they sound like is so hilarious and so cute but like and she'll pick up certain parts of it but then just like intermix them in like we're not wired to pick them up as a system we pull out little single elements yeah she has a strong she has a strong career in Hollywood because a lot of people doing accents in movies you know, are terrible, are absolutely terrible. And it just like drives me crazy. It's like every time they, they do a new Tomb Raider movie and they f- refuse to cast an English actress. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. why are we having these people do these horrific? I mean, you know, go back and listen to Angelina Jolie. But even the, on the more recent one, I think she's actually Dutch or something like that. And it's just like, can we just cast someone who speaks like this? What is the problem here? Like, it's it's not, you know. Or like um, there's a there's an old Stanley Kubrick movie. I'm going to offend a whole bunch of Kubrick fans. I'm a Kubrick fan as well. But he made a movie called Paths of Glory that is really not my favorite. And it's a World War One movie following the French army. And it stars Kirk Douglas as a French general. And all of the soldiers who are supposedly in the French army, like they don't just speak with American accents. They speak with extremely regionally specific American accents. And it drives me completely <laughs> insane. It's like, hey, over here, I'm going to go attack the French. You know, <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah, they're supposed to be French. And I just like, well, I, this is destroying any notion I have of uh, suspension of disbelief. And it's kind of it, interesting, just though. Horrific. Like. I mean, there we could easily. There's a huge danger talking to you about film accents that we get onto <laughs> extremely large diversion that we probably shouldn't go into. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to my second fun thing. <laughs> it's really interesting challenge when you're trying to uh, work on 
a movie that is set in a situation where people don't speak English, where right. you have to make choices that don't that, that sort of don't make sense, right? And so you can either just be like, well, let's just make the people in this town speak English, even though they shouldn't, so that they can talk to our English protagonists. Right. We can say uh, we're going to subtitle; they're going to speak in the actual language and subtitle and everything, which is not like a lot of audiences don't prefer that, and a lot right. of um, directors don't prefer that. You can give them all generic um like you can make them all speak english but then have a accent that reads to the audience as if it's like a french accent but speaking english which makes no logical sense right um but you can convey more information by having them speak english with different regional english accents because people like french there are regional french accents there are there is somebody presumably who has to a french person a like country hick accent that people would roll their eyes at and so you can actually convey more information by giving someone to an English listener an accent like that, but it just pulls you out of the suspension disbelief. So it's an interesting choice. I uh, yeah, I hate that approach. There's a uh, there's a famous German book. I have so much to say about this, like you said. There's a, there, <laughs> so let's not talk about that anymore. The, 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 I'll just I'll try to keep my thoughts brief. There, I have three three examples. Oh God! No, no. There's there's pick one. <laughs> no, no. I can't. Uh, there's a there's a there's a very famous book called uh, Berlin Alexanderplatz that was later made into a. 15 hour movie uh and it translating it into english has proven to be very very difficult because it's written in a very specific berlin accent Hmm. and one way that a recent translator has attempted to do it was to write the people speaking in cockney yeah Mm -hmm. and i tried to read that edition of the book and i could not do it and it's like i i hate i hate this that's thing number one thing number two for whatever reason americans when we make movies and it's set in the past everyone always has a british accent no matter where Mm. they're from Mm. or what time Mm -hmm. period it is and it's so weird and i (laughs) kind of get it like in the sense of like oh yeah we used to be english so that evokes the past but it's like extremely odd and thirdly one movie that i think did this conundrum extremely well is an edward james almost film called the ballad of gregorio cortez where it's the movie is about a series of misunderstandings between um sort of like racist law people in texas in the 1800s and mexican americans living in the region and one thing the movie does brilliantly is that they have the character played by edward james almost speaking spanish and they don't subtitle it because the people the people who he's speaking to didn't understand spanish uh yeah i've seen that choice done well yeah. So it's absolutely brilliant. It makes the whole movie work. They don't subtitle it. They have translators and scenes where you need to understand what he's saying. But even mm-hmm. then they play off the infallible, you know, the non-infallibility of of translators. The translator. Yeah. Yeah, and all this kind of stuff and it's absolutely brilliant. So at any rate, I I went as quick as I could. The other fun then thing you're, I'm you're getting the exposure to this idea like okay, someone's talking to me and you get a sus you can suss out kind of what he's saying. Yeah. And now I need to you make get a decision the, about you get the what point. Maybe told me, yeah, yeah, but you don't you don't understand it. So I think that's a really interesting approach. The final thing on this topic is that I will say that the USA does not have an official accent. There is no high English like there's a Hochdeutsch in German, but England does have one. You mentioned it at the beginning. It's called received pronunciation and generally associated with being fancy. But it's not an actual I'm not area. sure. Yeah, like 2% of the UK supposedly speaks in this received pronunciation way. But you are required to speak it at least until very recently if you want to be on television. So, yeah. 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 We're all speaking general Canadian. We're all speaking general Canadian or, you know, corruptions of it. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, friend? 2021. Happy New Year. 
Happy New Year. New new boss, same as the old boss. Uh, no, the boss is changing soon, and it's great. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> not the boss of me, but... Uh, the boss know. of us. Ah, uh, well, still not the boss no, of you. No, <laughs> When is the boss of you changing? I guess nobody knows. That's the fun part of Canada. Yeah, Justin Trudeau. I don't know. He's kind of settled into to, uh, not upsetting people sufficiently that there isn't a lot of... Hey, good job. A lot of people sharpening sticks and things against him. He's good job, know, Justin. He, good job. He has his missteps, but he has. I mean, this has kind of always been his thing. He has, it's a bit of tefloniness to his persona, and he de- doesn't tend to double down when he missteps. Also, which uh, maybe does is not like a popular strategy <laughs> in some other places. Um, and for better or for worse, when he makes a misstep, he typically backpedals and. And attempts to, you know, distance himself from the thing he did rather than being, well, I should have benefited my friends in this public deal or whatever. I can't really imagine Uh, what any of this is like anymore. It's been too long. But through the mists of history, I can vaguely remember. It has has happened in the past that (laughs) officials and leaders... Could grow? No. Could grow and learn from their mistakes mm. it is physically possible no, it doesn't seem in fact it plausible. is correlated with it, it can be hard to remember that or even believe it mm. but learning from <laughs> learning from your experiences <laughs> is correlated with success and what uh i don't and, yeah i think mm. you're wrong let me i mean i know let me just look at my notes here. <laughs> it's like hmm, okay how, how have things been going mm, yeah, i don't see any mm, evidence to I don't, su- yeah, that. I don't see any evidence to support that yeah yeah yeah. This, there's like been a not a meme in the old school sense uh, recently of like people re bringing up this idea that uh, like hypocrisy, like trying to distinguish in between like hypocrisy and learning. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody says, um, like let's say ten years ago they were like, I don't think I don't I think they should say he or she. I don't think the word they is very flows very well grammatically. And then ten years you later, your first Alan is a bigot. <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't me. I happened to be lucky in that my instincts yeah. towards the the he or she or they. Like yeah. I always hated he or she as a phrase. Okay. Like to me, it was always so clunky and yeah, he or she like, is I, awful. Yeah, I, my default was like to do to the just like randomly use either he or she like sure. try to like make up a person and then of course they need to have a he or she gender because that's the way i thought it worked because right. that's the way a lot of people used to think it worked right um and so i would write like prose that didn't refer to anyone in particular with alternating he or she or pick one or the other right um as opposed to the quote quote he or she phrase which i always found really awkward no, um, but awful. then you can find all these takes that people had like you know 10 years ago 5 years ago or if you're not paying much attention like 2 or 3 years ago of <laughs> 2 or 3 <laughs> like, years oh, you're generous what? i thought 2 or 3 weeks yeah. but sure <laughs> yeah um at least the people that i read have now like gotten this out of their Wonderful. systems but these arguments as to why you shouldn't uh use they and it's oh well it's not proper grammar blah blah blah, blah. which was always um, wrong but that's fine which was always wrong but like was a common idea yeah. right and so n- now there's people who are getting like now those people who have learned over time will uh do maybe questionable things like write a thing on the internet about how to try and be more just in the words that you choose and then you might get uh responses like oh what a hypocrite you previously once argued the other way. Oh yes, right. Yeah. This this was uh 
This is a big factor in the 2004 presidential election. Is this here the in the John Kerry. Yeah, this had is some variation this, in opinion over time. And yes, and was, and was named a flip flopper. <laughs> and I, and I, my feelings at the time were I just wanted him to say, yeah, uh, I got more information, and then I changed my mind. That's what you want leaders to do. Yeah, <laughs> but he you should try it sometime. Instead, he doubled down on trying to explain why he had voted for before he voted or voted against before he voted for or whatever nonsense. He was getting very bad advice, and is consequently not a former president of the United States. But he is the new climate czar. So congratulations so to that. him. But I guess that's the yeah uh, <laughs> yeah. It's consolation prize. I think the uh, that's an important idea that people don't talk about much, or at least I don't see people talking about much. I just see it mentioned on the, the outside, but that trying to figure out what, like try to get a mental model where you can support and actively encourage people to learn and change their uh, their stances based on information as it comes in and reevaluate their stances, yeah. but still be willing and able to hold people to account if they are attempting to like hold people to an inconsistent standard like uh, in an ongoing basis, right? Like, right. so it, the people who are like um, publicly saying anyone who travels during COVID is immoral. But then and they're traveling. And then they're themselves going right. to it. Well, that's holiday, very different. Right? That is hypocrisy because you're simultaneously holding a different standard for yeah. yourself as for other people. But if yeah. you, like earlier in the year, said, um, oh, I think it's fine if people travel, but then have like seen the consequences of that and are now saying, or like let's say earlier in the year you traveled and now you realize that was bad and you're like i shouldn't have done that neither you should you we shouldn't be doing it then that's called learning and my like yeah my grandfather on this show was <laughs> on this show my grandfather was an example to me of like what happens when someone is just unable to compromise ever mm-hmm. and i mean i love my grandfather but he was just the worst in that way and i think it's a i think about this a lot especially as i watch a lot of the old movies I watch, you know, that that, that mm. was a real ideal of American masculinity and probably not yeah. just American, that it was just like integrity was about never compromising your, your beliefs ever under any circumstances. And once you've made up your mind, never back down for anyone ever. And it's like, that's not <laughs> a good way to do anything. And it's so toxic. And it's and it's but it's, you know, the way that we're still to you got to stand up for what you believe in. Talk, yeah, and you do. Even have if to, you're wrong. You do, well, that's the thing. You do have to stand up for what you believe in. But you also have to be open to changing those beliefs. Mm-hmm. And and that's the that's the balance. Anyway, we've rambled on far longer than than anyone wants to listen to us ramble. Probably. I don't know. Actually, that's not true. The whole that's what editing is, is basically for. Ra- and the whole episode is basically if after the fact it was a good ramble, then it's the show. And if it's not, then it's not. <laughs> that's a good point. Well, it'll just go in after the fact. Yeah, after the fact, coming to you to a Patreon near you. Yeah, I always want to say patron. The patron? Well, the patrons are the people, the many people who support us. Via Patreon. Via At the moment, Patreon. you support us via your awesome Twitter posts and things of that nature which reminds me uh my my lovely wife has encouraged me to remind our listeners that we would totally appreciate anyone to leave us a five star or any number of stars they feel is appropriate review on on apple Podcasts and a review if you're so inclined that you know we would love to to help spread the love i haven't checked i used to have an app that would like pull in the reviews for all the different app stores um, but I haven't checked recently the like non because like, it's easy for me to get Canadian uh, podcast reviews. Oh, of, like, people I, they're leave, different. But, but people, yeah, people leave reviews all around the country. And like one. Do we have reviews on that, the Canadian iTunes store? Yeah. Yeah. We have oh, because we only have three on the U.S. one. And I just think we should have more. 
Are you sure we only have three, or is it just that the web page throws three by default? Well, I, I tried. I really put an effort to try to see all of them, and I think we only have three, and they're all pretty old. And I think it's because we never ask any of you to do this out, out there, the fun factors. And that's because, honestly, because we forget and we're terrible at all of this artifice that surrounds our show. But it would be lovely. I would love to hear what y'all think, so... Please. I mean, it's I, I had been seeing the three reviews and I've been assuming there. Well, there must be more. And no. I should like go off and find nope. more because the number of people who are listening to the show is like not trivial. It's it's certainly more than <laughs> and three. it does seem to kind of be <laughs> continuing to trend up. Um, so like you're all there. And and actually, surprisingly, I know a lot of people don't use the Apple podcast app, but uh, increasingly, it seems like people are finding it uh, through like refer like the Apple Podcast app is increasingly recommending fun fact. Oh, really? For people who like fact related shows. Hey, thanks, yeah. Apple. Yeah, yeah. Shout thanks, out to the Apple. algorithm. Yeah, yeah. Finally, <laughs> we the appreciate algorithm. being deigned by your your un- <laughs> unknowable, uncontrollable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, thanks everybody. Anyway, thought I'd bring it up. Yeah, so if you uh, if you enjoyed the show, then leave us a, a review, and you can let other people be able to find the show. And and uh, yeah, yeah, if you if you don't do. enjoy the show, then just walk outside in the middle of the day and yell something at a cloud about it. Yeah, or like email us, and we can <laughs> or, like try and make it better. <laughs> or email us, and we'll do our best. Yeah, either way, whatever feels more satisfying to you. Or tweet. You can be like, I really like the show, but man, yeah. like, what's with that? Alan yeah, you guy? could also tweet. Yeah, no one's gonna be like, what's with that Allen guy? Too many facts that are unsubstantiated. Well, well, too many facts that are in fact opinions. We'll get into that. Uh, Not enough so. facts that are actually opinions. <laughs> so they're all valid feedback. Yeah, for email. That's right. If you want to let Alan know that broccoli preferences are not facts, then then you should do that. Yeah, but yeah. don't leave a review about that. <laughs> don't leave a review about that. unless you. Use, is there broccoli emoji? Probably. Do we do we have an after the fact? Welcome everybody to a free this 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 week we're gonna a do free a sample free sample of the non-existent Patreon after, after the fact. fact. <laughs> do you do you want do you want to talk at length about do you want me to keep talking about accents and movies? Do you want to talk at length about video game design? <laughs> I I mean I always want to talk at length about video game design, but yeah, I know that that's people like after see after the fact <laughs> after after the fact that's like after we stop recording and we don't have yeah to that's subject that's the after the fact that only I get to enjoy. Yeah. We'll say. <laughs> uh, I don't know. We can't I have a vote. People people do that on their Patreons. They have a vote like, well, what topics like do we want us to like that aren't like part of the show? Oh, yeah. This is about. great. Everybody out there in Fun Factors, while you're leaving us that five-star review <laughs> or whatever, while you're tweeting at us, let us know what you would like us to talk about in after the fact. <laughs> yeah. No guarantee. Whether or not it ends it. up existing. It's yeah, we don't know if it's gonna happen. It's very useful information. Thank you very much. Game design, uh, Accents and movie movies. accents, accents, old English. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. How to manage your OmniFocus task list? I, I know everyone's that's really what, that's excited definitely to hear that. what people want to hear about. Yeah, there's a yeah. great podcast for that already. It's called Cortex. I recommend everyone listen to it. Mm, yes, that is another good recommendation. We are huge fans of that show on this show. Yeah, we get uh, yeah. inspiration for that. Although I don't. Do you do the daily in that show? They do uh, the yearly themes. Do you do the I, yearly theme We could theme talk about yourself? this. I am doing a yearly theme for the first time Ooh. ever this year. What's your yearly theme that's going to tie it all together? Yeah, so 2021, year of impact. Ah, I see. I see. Yeah. I feel like that, yeah, sounds, yeah. that sounds like a good theme. You can imagine that being the idea on Cortex is you pick a theme and then you can apply it in different ways. It's not like a New Year's resolution 
I'm, I I'm going to impact a lot. You know, yeah, this is this is what it, I like there's no measurable, there's no deliverables, there's no measurable goal. It's not a resolution. It's not a goal. It's, but it's a, a theme. Yeah, it's a and guiding I've, principle. I've become really sold in the last year or two on the value of having long term direction. Yeah, and then short term goals. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Month, I'm going to do this thing that is measurable. I'm going to do this this many times. Yeah, I'll post in my blog. I'll yeah. I'll get this thing done at work. I'll talk to this friend. Whatever it is, I'll make plans. Yeah, completely. And then overall, oh, in one year, five year, we're going in this direction. We want to be moving towards this. Yeah. That's right. So I, I, I'm, I'm not at the point. I'm not really a journaler, so I'm not going to pick up their what looks like an incredible theme system journal i mean it looks really really well made but it's i just wouldn't use it but um i do i did want to have kind of an overarching theme and impact for me really captured kind of like a lot of different areas of my life it relates to my job it relates to my uh, being a father of a young child it relates to the world and the state it's in it relates to um you know my feelings on on w- how i want to ent- re-enter the world as hopefully sometime in 2021 2022 i don't know we'll all re-enter the world in some fashion and i I just feel like it encapsulated all of that and i i do need to figure out kind of how i'm going to use the theme like because i'm not like a daily journaler type like how am i going to kind of try to see that it it plays out and 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 is relevant in my life moving forward i kind of need to figure that out um but but yeah i'm I'm just kind of trying it out this year and and i'm 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 pretty excited about it right now but yeah if you want to learn more about that uh, CGP Gray, one of the co-hosts of Cortex, did an excellent YouTube video that we could link in the show notes about what this is all about. And there's also like an endless, uh, it's actually not endless, it's extremely bounded, but there's a series of Cortex episodes that talk about yearly themes. So, yeah. Yeah. And if you're not a journaler, but you like the idea of doing a little bit more uh, forward looking, either goal planning or talking, thinking about what your long term stuff you want to be moving towards are and keeping some record of that and your progress towards it and your your thoughts about it uh i use another really kind of hipster uh analog <laughs> way of, of keeping track of that it's called a google doc a spreadsheet oh yeah you're a hipster it's a google spreadsheet yeah so that's a really yeah. like organic <laughs> artisanal spreadsheets so <laughs> way of uh of keeping track of you know how you're growing as a, as a person and what you're moving towards yeah, I cannot imagine choosing to use a spreadsheet voluntarily, but uh, I I'm not a CEO. <laughs> they when you when you become CEO, they have a little like indoctrination course with a few things. They hmm. um, they teach you how to use the word synergy. They oh god, flick link, a switch in your brain that makes you want to use spreadsheets. Yeah, connectitude, linkativity, <laughs> connectitude. That's a new <laughs> one for me, but I'm gonna be yeah. promoting that. Across yeah. all my uh, bifunctional, yeah, various functional orgs team and oh organizations, in parking yeah. lots with the optimal. <sighs> all right, cross section of we've reached after the after the integration. Fact I, I'm just going to start talking about other things now. How how, how you doing, friend? I'm going to stop recording. <laughs>